0: If you're a believer, God has given you a spiritual gift. You may be asking, why? Here to answer that is Pastor Ed Taylor. Everything hinges on
1: a church that's using their spiritual gifts. Supernatural, spiritual gifts. And God has given to you and me one, at least one, of these spiritual gifts. Every one of you as a believer has been given a spiritual gift. Again, some of you have been given more than one spiritual gift, and the gift has been given to you so that you might use
0: it. This is amazing. Grace. natural abilities God gives to each of us, some more than others. But there are supernatural abilities that God gives to his children as well. What a potential exists, but sadly often not realized. Well, we hope to change that today on Abounding Grace. We're making our way through the book of Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've come to chapter 12 and the section on spiritual gifts. Here now to delve further into this exciting subject is Pastor Ed. Well,
1: let's pick up in verse 3 by way of review in Romans chapter 12. It says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And we've covered that in previous studies in depth. Looking how wonderful it is to be a body and yet be very individual. We're not independent of one another, but rather we're interdependent. You're needed here and you're necessary in the body of Christ. Every single one of you has a place in the body of Jesus Christ. In this fellowship family, you belong. Then he says in verse six, And so each of the gifts are laid out for us. And he says, listen, having then gifts. The truth is, is that every believer here within the sound of my voice, within this room in front of me, whoever can hear me right now, if you're a Christian, God has given you at least one spiritual gift, but many of you more. At least one gift has been given to each of us by God through his spirit as believers. I mean, here you are right now in a room filled with wonderfully gifted people in Jesus Christ right now among us. There are so many spiritual gifts. You know, we have all of these gifts, but then the beauty of it is, is that you'll use a gift one way, you'll use a gift another way, you'll use a gift another way, and in the diversity of the room here, it's just unbelievable what God does through his church on the earth today. It's amazing to think of all the diverse spiritual gifts that are among us today. And yet, even in the diversity, every one of you is unique and individual. Every one of you is special. Even those of you that might be parts of multiples, you might be a twin or a triplet. You individually, uniquely are specially created by God and as a believer, have a special, unique gift spiritually to use. All tied together, all interdependent and interconnected in the body of Christ. So here at Calvary, you belong to a large, growing church. As you look around the ministry here, you belong to a very large, growing church, and God is continuing to add to the church daily those that should be saved. Now, you may hear stories interspersed between the messages of all sorts of stories from the old days. You might hear me mention the Baptist church that we used to meet on down on Winston, right there off of Hampton and Winston, right down the street down here and it was sort of like this fellowship, this building here. It was two-story, kind of a walk-in basement, but there you walked in on the bottom floor and the sanctuary was on the bottom floor and they put the children's ministry above the sanctuary. We flip-flopped that here because it's something to hear the kids screaming and yelling above you running around and we said, no, 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 let's put them downstairs and we'll put the sanctuary upstairs and you may hear those times. You know, there were 30 people, 40 people coming to the basement there and then you might hear stories of good old Columbia Middle School. If you were with us, the bulk of our ministry uh, prior to the facility here happened at Columbia Middle School. We even brought a few of the chairs with us so that we would never, ever, never forget where we came from as a fellowship. Or some of you might have heard of the old Episcopal Church that we met in on Thursday nights. It's right down on Wagon Trail and Buckley. If you drive by right on the corner, there is an Episcopal Church. There's a church building and a shack. We used to use the shack on Thursday nights. Another two-story building on the bottom, we had the kids. And we had this idea that we could just put the whole children's ministry downstairs and then we would meet upstairs for a midweek Bible study. The room probably didn't hold more than, I don't know, 70, 100 people. And we used to cram that building with as many people as we could possibly fit. And in the summertime, that building got so hot. There was just this little air conditioner in the window that was supposed to cool that whole room. And I remember there was a season of summer where the air conditioning was broken. And it was so hot in there, I almost fainted in the pulpit, man. It was so hot. And there was just a few people. You know, there were even times back in the Episcopal Church where just a few people would come out on Thursday nights for Bible study. Or you might be joining us from at the time where we were up in New Life, where they were so gracious in allowing us to use their facility and allow our midweek study to grow. We used to meet on Thursday nights upstairs in one of their rooms, and they allowed us to use the children's ministry. And you hear all those stories, but for some of you, you weren't there. You joined us now. where We're now a church of thousands, and we have a place where God has blessed us, and we're able to grow and expand, and, and we have room here. And and the Lord has blessed us, and we're a large church. God has allowed us to grow and is continuing to grow us, and thousands of people call Calvary Aurora their home, and we're a large church, and, well, I love large churches. I was saved in a large church. I was discipled in a large church. My family grew up in a large church, much larger than even this one. I walked into a Calvary chapel with multiple thousands of people worshiping in one service at one time. And God used that church to allow me opportunities to serve, allow me opportunities to grow, allow me opportunities. I love large churches and I love the diversity that comes in large churches, the opportunities that come As God's people gather together, I love what God is doing here. Can you imagine, though, what it must have been like in the book of Acts in chapter 2 where it says after Peter preached that over 3,000 people got saved at one time? Can you imagine trying to baptize 3,000 people over, just over and over? God's working. But when you think of large churches, there's a problem with large churches, especially in a society like ours, there are difficulties that arise with larger churches. I mean, here's one that's relevant to our time in learning about spiritual gifts. One of the problems I see in large churches is that this fellowship became large because the people in the fellowship really believed and really thought that they were important to the ministry. That's how it grew. I mean, you come in when there's 30 people gathering together and you may come in with a different mindset. You may come into a group like that and you go, hey, where do you need me? I'm ready to serve. I'm here to serve. How can my gifts be used here? And so you jump in with both feet and you go, yes, I want to I serve here. I, I want to be available to you, pastor. I want to, I just, it doesn't matter what you need. We'll, I'll do it. And then over time, more people come with that attitude and more people come with that attitude. And then there's a wave of people that tend to come into larger churches thinking, well, they've got it all taken care of. I'm really not needed here anymore. I mean, it's actually a danger of people that have been with us for a while. Where you've been with us for a while, and the dynamic move of the Spirit in those early days where there might have been a lot of responsibility on you, but now as the church is growing, your responsibility is narrowed down as other people get to serve now. But there are those that walk in and go, oh, you know, everything's taken care of here. I don't really need to use my gifts here. You know, this large church, they've been around for a while, they really don't need me here. And you might even start to hear things, kind of things in the hallway or your conversations, or you might even start to feel things like, well, I'm not needed here anymore. I might might need to go look for another church where I'm needed. Or you might hear, they've got it taken care of already. I mean, come on, just, everything seems to be running smoothly here, or it gets worse, you start to hear things, well, I'm not important anymore, or you might even hear or feel, there's no room for me in this church. And let me just say that that is a temptation that you want to avoid falling into. Everyone is needed, in every church for that matter, but especially in ours. Everyone's needed. You are needed. Whether you've been with us since there were just 30 people gathering together or you've just joined us, God has drawn you to this fellowship family and you are needed with your particular spiritual giftings. The idea that everything's taken care of, not everything is taken care of. God is continuing to do all sorts of things and he wants to use you. But what happens when people start to check out is that the people that are still serving Well, they carry a greater load. And then they start to get very tired in the ministry. And they start to get burned out. And then when you get tired and burned out serving God's people, then you start getting bummed out. Then you forget why you started serving God in the first place. And then the enemy really does a number. And before you know it, you just forget that as you serve the people, you're actually serving God. And you forget that the people are so blessed by you exercising your spiritual gifts. And it's a subtle change. You know, you may even hear, you may even hear folks say something like this, I wish this church wouldn't grow anymore. I like it just the way it is. Well, I'll tell you right now, I disagree with you. I don't wanna see our church stop growing. And I certainly don't want to see our church start shrinking and then shrivel up and disappear and have no more impact on our community. I mean, it is an incredibly selfish thing to think that we can control church growth or we can control church shrinkage. All we can do is walk humbly with our God and allow him to do what he wants to do. And then you start to think, well, on one hand, well, we can really make this church grow. No, we really can't, not in God's will. Or, you know, I I wish this church wouldn't grow anymore. It's just getting too big for me. What do you mean it's getting too big for you? You're still just one, right? And you still can just reach a few people, right? So reach them and minister to them and serve them and get engaged and get involved. The idea of, well, I wish this church wouldn't grow anymore, I'll tell you what, I disagree with you. I want to be able to be used in the capacity that God wants us to be used. And if it means this is all that he has for us, hey, amen to that, I'm okay with it. But my attitude is, God, whatever you have for us, I want. Whatever you have for me, I want. I don't want to see the church shrink. I don't want to see it shrivel up. I don't want to see one day driving through Aurora and this building is occupied by doctors and lawyers. It's a business center. And you look by and you're driving by and and you might even hear a conversation in a car. You go, hey, wasn't that a church one day? You know, wasn't that, weren't there people going to there in that building? Wasn't it a church one day? You know, didn't they have an impact on the city? And then they, well, yeah, they're, they're not here anymore, you know. it just shriveled up and went away. The church is just an office building now. And, and it had its day, but it doesn't have its day anymore. And, and that would be sad, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if we did end up moving from this facility, and it did end up as an office building, great. I would like to put a sign on the corner that says, hey, we have moved. The people that gathered here at Calvary Chapel is down the street now, like we did when we left the school. But to have it just shrivel up and disappear, I think God has raised up a fellowship family here at Calvary for a reason. And so you have to start dealing with those issues in your heart. What I want, because that's really the issue, what I want. What do I want? No, what does God want from us? I mean, we are here with a mandate and a purpose from God. Jesus himself plants churches. And I believe he planted this church and arranged it in such a way where you you and I are co-laborers in the ministry with your gifts and my gifts. We get to serve together to reach a community. And we're always looking for more opportunities, more open doors to serve this precious community in the name of Jesus Christ. To be faithful in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth to be a faithful people, obeying God. And it hasn't changed. My heart hasn't changed from the day that we arrived in Colorado to this day. I guess if there is any change, my heart's just enlarged with the vision that my pastor dropped into my heart, that his pastor dropped into his heart, that the Holy Spirit moved among us. And our goal and my heart is here is to see you be the best fed, best loved and best cared for sheep that you can possibly be under our care, that we just take good care of you, point you to Jesus Christ, that's not a vision that I created. It's something that God dropped into Pastor Chuck. And then Pastor Chuck Smith dropped it into my pastor, Jeff Johnson. And then he, gets, he dropped it into my heart. And now I have the privilege of dropping it into your heart that we would care for one another and love one another. Now, larger churches and smaller churches is not how God measures. God measures us by faithfulness. And so maybe you're a, a smaller church even listening in. And you go, well, well, we're not a large church. No, you're large in the eyes of God. And you want to be faithful with the 50 people, with the 100 people, with the 300. Whatever you might have in front of you, you want to be faithful. Maybe you're just a Sunday school teacher and lately there's only been two kids showing up. Be faithful. Those two kids are important. You don't have to have a full overflowing class to have a sense of importance. Just your very usage by God in these last days, you're important. One person shows up, no people show up. You know, let's just say that in the realm of ministry right now, you don't have anyone in your life right now to minister or you're serving to. You know what? Then God's working on you. You're the one. (laughs) We often think, well, i got to give out, i got to give out, give out. But there are seasons where God says, no, 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 I don't want you giving out anymore. I want you just to stop. I'm going to give and I'm going to pour into you. A lot of those things we're going to learn in the servants class together, of all the neat ways God uses ministry and people to teach us. Now the key of being in a ministry where you're the best loved and best fed and best cared for, remember it's not a competition or anything, it's just being faithful with what God's called us to do. Everything hinges on a church that's using their spiritual gifts. And you'll notice in Romans chapter 12, there are seven spiritual gifts mentioned here. Seven supernatural spiritual gifts. And God has given to you and me one, at least one of these seven spiritual gifts. Gifts. Every one of you as a believer has been given a spiritual gift. Again, some of you have been given more than one spiritual gift. And the gift has been given to you so that you might use it and live that way. You could call these gifts here in Romans chapter 12 motivational gifts. Motivational gifts, because these are the gifts that God has given you that move you as a believer, that motivate you to action. It's amazing because you can have one event right here happen right here in front of the stage, right here in front of the pulpit. One event surrounded by 10 people. And how those 10 people respond to that event, you can pinpoint where their spiritual gift is. I mean, you can see that there's a person that that walks up to the pulpit, they trip, they fall down, they get hurt. Somebody with an administrative type gift immediately gets on the phone and calls 911. Let's get this guy some help. But those of you that have a merciful gift, you rush up and you go, are you okay? Are you all right? Is everything fine? And you begin to exercise your gifts where you can have 10 different people with, with different giftings and different motivations and it'll change the way you respond to something. And so when you look at these gifts, you go, huh, I wonder how I'm motivated to act. I wonder how I'm motivated to serve. Now, some of you are saying, now, wait a minute, Ed. I thought there were more than seven gifts listed in the Bible. I mean, I thought they were lists, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. I thought they were far more than just seven spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to look at these passages in brief in a moment, but one thing that you'll notice when we read them together is that in Romans chapter 12 is the only place that the word gift is actually used in the original language. As you read through these passages in both sections, you'll notice that the word gift in Ephesians and the word gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is in italics. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, if you're taking notes, if Romans 12 has the motivational gifts, then 1 Corinthians chapter 12 then shows us the different manifestations of spiritual gifts. And then when we get to Ephesians chapter four, we see the ministries that the gifts employ, people that were given to the church.
0: Thanks for joining us for a study in Romans here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you enjoyed the content, why not share it with someone you know, or give it another listen yourself at a later date. That's easy to do when you go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast and through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora. How close are we to the end? And is Jesus coming soon? Questions like these are being asked during the global pandemic. Don Stewart looks into this in a book we'd like to get into your hands. It's titled, 25 Signs We Are Near the End. Don examines what the Bible has to say about coming events and what will take place at the time of the end. And he does so in an easy-to-understand manner. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. It's your generous support that helps us come to you each day on this station. So thank you for standing with us in this difficult time. Call 877-30-GRACE and we can take your resource request. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry, that can be done with relative ease online at aboundinggraceradio.com or through the app. Pastor Ed, our country is experiencing turmoil right now. In recent weeks, tensions have been running high. And we've seen evidence of that, from angry posts on social media to protests and rioting on the streets. What are some of your observations, and what has the Lord been speaking to your heart about this? Well, Larry, we
1: are in very difficult times, and I'm reminded that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to our problems today. Even though we are living in difficult times as believers, we need to approach them with the right perspective. We need to remember that justice and mercy flow from the cross, that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and forgives us and makes us new. And there's no doubt, make no doubt, there is no doubt that racism is sinful, and it is not to be on the lips or the mind or the heart of a believer. But you know, we live in a culture that loves to make things political and loves to seek justice that way, but this isn't a political issue it's a moral issue it's a sin issue we live in a fallen world one that's wandering around without god and without hope and the church has a responsibility to remember that we're in this world but we're not of it and so we're able aren't we to look at things from a sober perspective and declare that any and declare that all injustice is not from Jesus Christ it's the exact opposite of the character and nature of God. And I would say we need to be careful that we don't respond with our out of great emotion, because this is a time of high level of emotions, but allow the word of God to lead our response and our lives that have been changed. And you know, we may look at one part of the culture and point the finger. And then we look at another part of the culture and point the finger. But my pastor used to teach us that when we point the finger, we we'll always have three coming back at us. There's always three fingers pointing back at us. We need to remember that apart from Jesus Christ, where would we be? What did God save us out of? And we're the salt and the light of the earth. And there's an ever-present devil that loves to divide. And so you're right, anger and frustration, biases, they exist, and they cause us to label. You know, if we come up with a category of a person other than our neighbor— then we'll make up an excuse why not to love them. But Jesus said that we're to love our neighbors, and then he made it clear who's our neighbor. Everyone is our neighbor. And I picked up, we're going through this book uh, called The Third Option by Pastor Miles McPherson, Uh, and we're going through it as a team here at the church so that we might learn how we Can better navigate the gospel in very turbulent times. We need to. This is a time not for arguing. This is a time for listening, empathetic listening, that we might, like Ezekiel, sit where they sit. There's a lot for us to learn about each other, so that we can serve each other better with the gospel. And my heart is broken. It's it's so uh, heart wrenching to see what's being posted and what's being said and what's being done and. And uh, just category after category of people, so divisive, and my heart's heavy over it. I don't have all the answers, but I know that Jesus Christ does. And I look to Him daily that He might lead me and guide me in this turbulent time. And I commend you to do the same. Thank
0: you for sharing that, Pastor Ed. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Be blessed. This is amazing grace.